Hey everyone, we are coming to the end of our Seedbed series. We only have two more weeks. And if you remember, the purpose of this series has been to help us to kind of have a basics of Christianity, to know what the seedbed of our faith is. Uh, it's kind of a Christianity 101. And I just want to take a moment and go back to what we've covered already. And if you have missed some of these, you can go back online and, and catch some of the sermons in this series. But we started several weeks ago with the idea that God is Trinity, that he's best expressed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and the why of that, that God is a God of love and relationship and wants to be in relationship with us. And then we looked at the, the Bible, our rule of faith, the inspired word of God, that it contains everything necessary for us to understand who God is, who we are, and about salvation in Jesus Christ. And then the week after that, we looked at the church, uh, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ as it is, and how important it is that uh, the church is active in the ministry of uh, helping people find Jesus that we are the church. The church is not a building, but we are the church. And then we looked at the idea of holiness and grace. This idea that we have been created in the image of God, and God is a holy God, and but because of our sin, we have broken uh, that holiness. But by God's grace, he has given us grace so that we can uh, be holy like he is holy. And then we looked at the idea of heaven and hell. And that we were created for eternity and God desires for all of us to live with him in eternity. But our destination depends on what leader we follow. If we follow Jesus, we'll end up in heaven. If we follow another leader or follow ourselves, then we won't. And then we looked at the work of the cross a couple of weeks ago and how important that uh, that keystone work of the cross is, that uh, it is kind of that central tenet of our faith that, we, uh, that Jesus died on the cross and for our sins, to take our place. And uh, what an important part. And then on Easter Sunday, uh, last week, we talked about the resurrection. Uh, and that's the reason we're here. It's the reason you're watching, because Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, Jesus has overcome death and given us power as well to overcome death. And so that's what we've been looking at throughout this series. And for our last two sermons, we're going to be looking at two different things, the two sacraments that we have as a church, baptism and communion. And if, uh, if you don't know what a sacrament is, it's, we, we describe it as an outward sign of an inward grace, something that we do on the outside that is representative of something on the inside. Uh, and the church has practiced these two sacraments since the time of Jesus. And we call them sacraments because they were instituted by Jesus. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then when Jesus was at the Last Supper, he said, uh, uh, do this in remembrance of me, talking about taking the bread and the cup in communion. But unfortunately, these two sacraments, they have been some of the most divisive issues between churches and denominations. And, and the reason I think it's been so divisive is because Jesus really doesn't give us a lot of uh, steps on how to do these two things. Uh, there's a part of me that wishes Jesus would have given us a 10-step manual on how to properly do baptism, how to properly do communion, but he didn't. 
Uh, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details. And if there's one thing I know about human nature is that we don't like not being in control. We want to control things. And when we don't understand something, when we, uh, we get uneasy we, and, and we want to, to build rules and laws around it, we like to control. So denominations have come up with different ideas about the proper ways to administer the sacraments. So today I'm going to give you a theological understanding and a grounding for the way Methodists do baptism. That's what we're talking about today, baptism. Uh, is it the right way? I don't know, honestly. Uh, do other churches bat practice baptism differently? Absolutely. But here's what I do know. All churches that do baptism and communion, they are trying to do the best that they can in the way they have interpreted Scripture and trying to follow Jesus faithfully. I believe that. All different denominations are doing that. Uh, but the, again, the differences come because there isn't a lot of instructions in the Bible for us to hold on to. We uh, actually call the sacraments a holy mystery. There's a sense in which we can't completely understand them, that God is in control of them, and, and that's why there aren't a lot of details. We have to have faith. We have to have faith that we're doing what God wants us to do, and that ultimately these sacraments are a gift from God, and we do have to accept them on faith. But I love our theology. Otherwise, I wouldn't be a Methodist pastor, and I love the way we do baptism specifically. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he, he, he said this, that he taught that in baptism, a child was cleansed of the guilt of original sin. He was initiated into the covenant with God, admitted into the church, made an heir of the divine kingdom, and spiritually born anew. That's quite a bit of things happening there in baptism. But we're going to talk about these several different things here. And, and I want to start by saying we don't believe baptism is necessary for you to be saved nor does being baptized guarantee you are saved. But it is the ordinary means by which God designed for people to apply the benefits of salvation and to join the church. And our, our theology of baptism flows out of our, our theology of grace and holiness and our understanding of God as a covenant-making God. Almost every part of our faith can be viewed through the lens of baptism. It teaches, uh, teaches us about who God is and who we are in God. It, it teaches us how God reacts to humanity and it reveals how messy and broken the world is and how messy and broken we are. Baptism answers the question about how, how can our brokenness be healed or how can we become the people of God we were called to be? How can we become whole? And what part does the church play in all of this? And so this is where our baptism theology helps to inform and answer some of these questions. So let's dive off the deep end for a minute as we talk about baptism. This is going to be more of a teaching type sermon today. But as we talk about baptism, to do that, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of our Bible, all the way back in Genesis. And this is important because our theology comes from uh, the whole text, but specifically as we look at the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis, we are told that we were created in the image of God and that uh, we were to be full of love and relationship and dependence and trust in God. We were given purpose and freedom to accomplish God's will. But we decided, right, that we wanted to decide for ourselves what was good 
and what was evil. And all of us should know this. When it comes to humanity and us deciding what is good and evil and defining what is good and evil, we have a terrible track record. Uh, because, because of our sin, the world is broken. Uh, because of our sin, we are continually tripping ourselves up and tripping others up. We continually do evil. We have thoroughly messed things up. And because we broke God's law and wanted to do things our own way, our very being is bent toward evil. We call this original sin. That we were born sinful. Before we even did anything, we are born sinful because of the brokenness that we have caused in the world, that our sin separates us from God and our, and our desire to do our own ways instead of God's ways keeps us separate from God. But even though we abandoned God, and He never abandoned us. Even from the moment of that first rebellion as the story in Genesis in the garden, God initiated a rescue plan for us a plan to reconcile that gulf between God's holiness and our sin. And it was because of this grace of God that we can be reconciled. It is because of this grace that we can break the power of original sin. And here's what we believe about that grace, that God desires to save us, that God initiates. He gives us free grace to come back to him, that God's grace is available to all people, and it comes to us through various ways. We may recognize God's grace in the eyes of a friend or in the beauty of creation. In the, and John Wesley called these channels of grace. And God is free to use whatever means necessary to show us his grace. But the church has been given a special responsibility and a privilege of carrying forth God's call to redeem the world. And we see baptism as a means of grace, where we see the work of God in and through us. Baptism, it's, it's not magic, uh, but it can be a powerful way in which we experience the beauty of God's grace in our lives. We believe that in the sacraments, both in communion and baptism, that God is present. And it is the primary way in which we enter into covenant with God. Let me say that again. Baptism is the primary way into which we enter into covenant with God. We believe that God is a covenant-making God. So when we talk about covenant, you know, you probably understand a little bit about what that means, but covenant is an, an agreement between two parties. I think the best image we have of covenant today is a marriage, where a man and a woman come together, they join together in covenant to be husband and wife. And this is kind of the image that we have of God being in covenant relationship with us. And so the Bible has many different covenants that we see where God initiates the covenant, but there are five major covenants in scripture. And I'm going to, we're going to kind of step back and talk about these covenants for just a second because they help inform our theology of baptism. And so, uh, and we even see some of these covenants in our baptism ritual. So we, it starts with the, the first covenant that God makes is with Noah. After the flood, God puts a rainbow, the sign of the covenant. And he says, I will never destroy humanity by water, by flood again. And so it was initiated by God. The second covenant is uh, what we call the Abraham covenant, where God chooses Abraham and he sets his family apart and says, I'm going to bless you to, to bless the whole world. 
And the third covenant is the covenant of Moses or the covenant of, of Israel where, where God takes the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and he gives them the law, the scripture, and he makes covenant with them. And he says, I'm going to be your God again and uh, you're going to be my people and I'm going to bless you again so that you can bless the whole world. Uh, and, and he gives that covenant and he's going to give them uh, uh, the promise of the new land as well. And then we, that fourth covenant is the covenant of David, King David, uh, where God tells David and tells the people of Israel that there will come a future king that will be in the line, in the lineage of David, and he will rule on his throne forever. And then that last covenant is what we call the new covenant or the covenant of Jesus, where Jesus comes and truly Jesus fulfills all these other covenants in ways that we can't even imagine. But in all of these covenants, who is the one initiating the covenant? It's always God. God is the one who initiates the covenant. God is the one who seeks after us before we seek after him. And, and we're going to return to these in just a moment. But because God is the initiator, we believe that you only need to be baptized once. That one baptism is all we need. We say that God got it right the first time. And now, other denominations say that you have to be uh, rebaptized to join their church, and uh, but Methodists don't. We, uh, if you came to join our church and you were already baptized somewhere else, we would accept your baptism. You still have to make vows of membership, but we would say that that baptism was effective already. We don't rebaptize people either, but in all churches, all denominations, you have to be baptized to be a member of that church. That's the same wherever. Um, because baptism is a sign of being a part of a covenant community. And so we see that in these covenants. Now, we do allow you to remember your baptism and even to use water to remember your baptism. Now, uh, in the past, I haven't done this very often, but I've, I've done it uh, quite a bit recently. Uh, and I think it can be a powerful moment to remember your baptism. So even today, I, I would invite people, if they want to remember their baptism, I would sprinkle them or even immerse them. Now, I'd tell them, I'm not baptizing you. God got it right the first time, but I want you to remember and recommit your life to Christ. And, and that's always an important thing, uh, to do a recommitment to God. So in other denominations, when it comes to baptism, you have to believe and then you're baptized. So they will only baptize adults. In our theology, baptism is about covenant first, and it's about God initiating. So belief is important, but covenant comes first. Then we are called to respond to the covenant that was placed on us. So we will baptize people of any age, infants, teenagers, adults, it doesn't matter. We'll baptize anyone of any age, and we will sprinkle or pour, or we'll even immerse. We say it doesn't matter how much water is used, but water is important. It's the symbolic part of baptism. Uh, in fact, we say that baptism is both by water and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Both are involved in the act and the sacrament of baptism. Uh, as I said before, it is an outward sign, the water, of an inward grace, the Spirit transforming, renewing. Make sense? So back to covenant for a moment. Our baptism theology flows out of our covenant theology of God. And specifically, I want to look at this covenant that God made with Abraham. Here we see God taking a person, 
taking him from his land, taking him to a new land, promising him that he is going to be the father of many nations and that out of him and the family he creates and the Jewish people, that he is going to bless them in order to bless the entire world. We are a part of that covenant that God initiated with Abraham. And you remember what God told Abraham? He said, I'm I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a new land. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. And that's the same that we see in baptism. We are indeed inheritors of this covenant. We have been blessed to be a blessing. God initiated this covenant with us. And what was the sign of the covenant with Abraham? I don't know if you remember, but this is back in Genesis where God makes covenant with Abraham. He gives Abraham a sign of this covenant. And that sign was circumcision that all males would be circumcised. And all uh, at that point, he was circumcised as an adult. But from then on, every infant, every baby would be circumcised on the eighth day after they were born. Even Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day after birth. And it was the sign of the covenant that this person is marked by God, a part of his covenant community. Now, did that child have any say in that? No. But... The community, the Jewish people, all of them together said, we are going to raise this child in this covenant so that this child could accept the covenant placed on them as a child. And so um, we see that they were circumcised, but when the, the child turned about 12 or 13, they would go through a bar mitzvah if they were a male or a bat mitzvah if they were female. And that's when that child would basically confirm that covenant that was placed on them. They would study the law and they would stand before the whole congregation and say, yes, I am accepting this covenant that was placed on me at birth. And so we see baptism in the same way. It is a sign of being under his covenant. So God is the initiator. And then, uh, so if we baptize an infant, that, that covenant is placed on them. Now that child has to make a public profession at some time during their life. That's important because again, baptism doesn't save you, but it's a sign of being under God's covenant. It's a sign of being part of a community of faith. And that's where we take a lot of our theology on baptism goes back to this idea of God making covenant with us and giving us that grace and guiding us in holiness. And I want to just say a, a word about, especially about infant baptism. In some denominations, they christen children, and it's more like a dedication. We do not christen children. We baptize children, just like adults. There's no difference. The only difference between a, a baptism of an infant and a baptism of an adult is that for the baby, a parent or someone in the church has to say the answers for them. But they're saying, I'm going to raise this child within the covenant community. And then when that child again gets to age 12 or 13, we take them through confirmation, which is a time where they make a public profession of faith and they uh, accept their baptism that was placed on them as a child. And because of this idea of baptism being a covenant, baptism is always a public event. We don't do private baptisms. Typically, we do baptism in the worship service because it is the whole community coming together to do this baptism. It's never just between you and God. It's a community event. Both baptism and communion are a community event. 
Uh, it's the same when you join the church. You never join the church privately because you're joining a community. And when you join the church uh, and are baptized, uh, the ritual starts this way. And I just want to read part of the ritual. We're not going to read it all, but it says this, brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church, right? That's that part of the covenant. We're incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation that he has come to save us and given new birth through water and the spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. That's the grace offered to us. And then from that introduction, then we ask candidates who are being baptized or joining. It's the same ritual, whether you're joining or you're remembering your baptism or being baptized. The same ritual, the same questions we ask of everyone who comes. We ask on behalf of the whole church, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sin? And if you do, you say, I do. And that's just that acknowledgement there is evil, but I'm rejecting that and I want to follow God. And then the second question is, you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And this is recognizing, even though there's evil out there, even though I've done bad, I'm rejecting that and I'm accepting the freedom. God gives us freedom and the power to overcome those. The third question, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Put your whole trust in His grace. Promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. And again, this is that uh, question where we are saying, yes, I believe in Christ. I want him to be my savior. And from then we would go into the, the baptism ritual. What I love about the baptism ritual, whether you're sprinkling or pouring or immersing, that, that image, especially in immersion, you are, you're going down and you're dying to yourself. You're going under the water and then you're being raised a new creation a part of God's covenant community. That's our theology of baptism as Methodists. If you've never been baptized before and you want to uh, join our church or be baptized or even remember your baptism, I'd love to talk to you. You could always uh, reach out to me. You can email me at rick at firstmethodist.church. Love to talk to you more about that. But as we finish our time together today, let's uh, bow for a word of prayer. We thank you, God, that you are a God of covenant that you are a God who has given us free grace and you are seeking us first before we ever seek you. And that you, in baptism, you place your hand, your spirit on us. And you'll never let us go. So often though we run from you, but you are always running towards us. And it doesn't matter what we've done in the past, where we've been, you are still seeking us out. So today, Lord, we ask that you would remind us if we've been baptized before, remind us of our baptism, that we are a part of your covenant community. Help us to live into that covenant. Forgive us when we don't. And if we've never been baptized before and if we've never given our lives to Christ before, in this moment, Lord, I pray that uh, you would convict them and help them to turn their life over to you, to just say yes to you. It's as simple as that. And help them to find a, a covenant community either here or elsewhere where they can be a part of and be baptized and join. We thank you for your presence with us that you never leave us or forsake us. And we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.